So we sang there about how the Israelites sacrificed their own beloved sons and daughters to pagan gods, even demons. Well, that's in the text that we'll look at this morning. In Fergus North, we've been looking through, working through the prophecy of Jeremiah. That's sort of in the middle of your Bible. Jeremiah chapter 7 is the text that I've chosen for this morning. The beginning of Jeremiah is almost a bit of a depressing book. It very much speaks about the wrath of God against the sin of His people and that God has really had enough of His people continually disobeying Him. I think in one way it is a beautiful thing to work through prophecies like this uh, that focus on the wrath of God, especially as we look towards Christmas and the birth of Jesus Christ. It ought to be what a welcome relief and joy to the people who keep sinning, who are constantly arousing the wrath of God, that God then sends His one and only Son to these people to deliver them from that wrath that they so justly deserve. So it's good to work through some of these darker passages also of Scripture and that I think truly celebrate the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That will also be the focus of this sermon. So Jeremiah 7, starting at verse 16, the second half of this chapter into chapter 8, we'll read to verse 7 of chapter 8, but the text will stop at verse 3. So Jeremiah 7, verse 16, there God says to Jeremiah the prophet, therefore do not pray, for this people, nor lift up a cry of prayer for them, nor make intercession to me, for I will not hear you. Do you not see what they do in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood, the fathers kindle the fire, and the women knead dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven. And they pour out drink offerings to other gods that they may provoke me to anger. Did they provoke me to anger, says the Lord? Do they not provoke themselves to the shame of their own faces? Therefore thus says the Lord God, Behold, my anger and my fury will be poured out on this place, on man and on beast, on the trees of the field and on the fruit of the ground, and it will burn and not be quenched. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Add your burnt offering to your sacrifices and eat me. For I did not speak to your fathers or command them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices. But this is what I commanded them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. And walk in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well with you. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear but followed the counsels and the dictates of their evil hearts and went backward and not forward. Since the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt until this day, I've even sent to you all my servants, the prophets, daily, rising up early and sending them. Yet they did not obey me or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. Therefore you shall speak all these words to them, but they will not obey you. You shall also call out to them, call to them, but they will not answer you. 
So you shall say to them, this is a nation that does not obey the voice of the Lord their God, nor receive correction. Truth has perished and has been cut off from their mouth. Cut off your hair and cast it away, and take up a lamentation on the desolate heights. For the Lord has rejected and forsaken the generation of his wrath. For the children of Judah have done evil in my sight, says the Lord. They have set their abominations in the house which is called by my name to pollute it. And they have built the high places of Tophet, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I did not command, nor did it come into my heart. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when it will no more be called Tophet, or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. For they will bury in Tophet until there is no room. The corpses of this people will be food for the birds of heaven, of the heaven, and for the beasts of the earth, and no one will frighten them away. Then I will cause to cease from the cities of Judah and from the streets of Jerusalem the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, for the land shall be desolate. At that time, says the Lord, they shall bring out the bones of the kings of Judah and the bones of its princes and the bones of the priests and the bones of the prophets and the bones of the inhabitants of Jerusalem out of their graves. They shall spread them before the sun and the moon and all the host of heaven which they have loved and which they have served and after which they have walked, which they have sought and which they have worshipped. They shall not be gathered nor buried They shall be like refuse on the face of the earth. Then death shall be chosen rather than life by all the residue of those who remain of this evil family who remain in all the places where I have driven them, says the Lord of hosts. Moreover, you shall say to them, thus says the Lord, will they fall and not rise? Will one turn away and not return? Why has this people slidden back Jerusalem in a perpetual backsliding? They hold fast to deceit. They refuse to return. I listened and heard, but they do not speak aright. No man repented of his wickedness, saying, What have I done? Everyone turned to his own course as the horse rushes into the battle. Even the stork in the heavens knows her appointed times, and the turtle dove, the swift, and the swallow observe the time of their coming. But my people... Do not know the judgment of the Lord. Let's sing after the sermon from Psalm 81. We'll sing stanza 7, 8, and 9. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, how good is your hearing? I know some of you who are older pretend your hearing is terrible. You just want to know what people are actually saying and thinking around you. Seriously, hearing loss can be a very difficult thing. If you have hearing loss, I've got some older aunts and uncles, uncles in particular, that have that. And they've lamented to me too that sometimes they feel very cut off from, you know, family gatherings and friendships. 
Two to three babies per 1,000 have detectable hearing loss right from birth. And if you're one of those, you know how much it affects your whole life. Hearing is one of those things like that you, you've never, you never have it like you used to. You know, when you were younger, there's those special little hairs in your ear. You might know what they're called. They're very specialized hairs. They're not actually like the ones on your head. They don't grow back. Although there are some scientists who are trying to get them to do that. There are many things that cause hearing loss. Very loud noises, viral infections, even certain medications can cause hearing loss. Of course, we should add one more thing. Sin. How good is your hearing? Do you realize that as a sinner, you have a huge problem here? Sin makes you very hard of hearing. You see it with the ancient Israelites. They heard the word of God constantly, but it goes in one ear and out the other. To truly hear is to listen. And to listen is to obey. And the ancient Israelites, you'll see that they still were very spiritual. They were busy with all sorts of things, even in the temple. But this is one thing that they did not really do. One thing that we all have trouble with. Just like Adam and Eve in the beginning, what is that? Obey. Well, now in Jeremiah, God says, enough is enough. Again and again, he has sent prophets to them persistently day after day, yet they did not listen to me or incline their ear. Therefore, in their midst, there will no longer be the voice of mirth, the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, all those delightful sounds and voices gone because the people ignored the voice of the Lord. I put the word of God then under that theme, this theme, my anger and my wrath or my fury you have in the New King James here will be poured out. And look at three things that God laments and also says he's going to bring upon his people. First of all, that there's no loyalty, there's no obedience, and therefore there will be no burial. The prophets were men of prayer. Moses, Samuel, Jeremiah, they all were men of prayer. They interceded before God. If you are an office bearer, if you are a pastor, if you are a father or mother, you must be a person of prayer. Prayer because you know the people under your care, they need much more than what, what you can give them. God has to work in their hearts and lives. But now, look at how our text begins. Jeremiah seven sixteen. Therefore, do not pray for this people. 
Do not intercede with me, for I will not hear you, says the Lord. There are times then when God does not hear prayer. And that he will not listen to prayer. Proverbs 28.9, if anyone turns a deaf ear to the law, even his prayers are detestable. Maybe then you think, well, therefore do not pray for this people. Is there a time maybe when we should be not praying for somebody? You know, somebody just needs to, you know, experience life without God, something like that, hit rock bottom. No, that's not what's going on here, really. Although I think there are times when you ought to pray for someone that they do experience rock bottom. God is telling Jeremiah here not to pray to underscore the reality and the inevitability of his judgment. Do not pray. That means there is no possibility of mercy here. Our loved ones, no matter where they are and what they've done, may still receive mercy. While they live, we can and must pray. But there will be a time when God cannot be pleaded with. Even if there was a cry to Him. Do not pray. You should hear in that an indication of the great day of judgment that is and will be a reality. Why will there be judgment? Look at how our text continues. God says, Do you not see what they are doing in the cities and on the streets? Whole families, children, fathers, mothers, are busy with the worship of the Queen of Heaven, a pagan goddess. You might know that a few years earlier, there was a good king, King Josiah. He tried to reform things in ancient Israel. He cleansed the temple. Baal and all the stars of heaven were actually worshipped in the temple of the Lord. Josiah got rid of all that. He renovated the temple. The book of the law was was rediscovered. He destroyed high places all over Israel with their altars and images. He reinstated the Passover. But clearly, it was not enough. The people of God did not truly turn to the Lord. And so they slipped back into their old habits. The Israelites were busy worshiping the Queen of Heaven. I think we do have to remark that that is a little bit disturbing if you are Roman Catholic. Because you might know that Mary is often blasphemously called the Queen of Heaven. And despite what many Roman Catholics might say, she in fact is sort of worshipped. Mary has become, sadly, a kind of Christian version of pagan goddess 
worship. Here, though, the Queen of Heaven is not the Virgin Mary. The Queen of Heaven was the goddess Asherah or Astarte or Ishtar. Those are probably all variations of the same thing. She was the goddess of love and fertility. You can read later on in Jeremiah that part of the worship of Asherah involved making cakes that somehow sort of looked like her and and eating them, something like that. You worshipped Asherah because supposedly she would give you plenty of children, she'd make your flocks grow, that sort of thing. Asherah was really about the same things that every false preacher still today preaches about. Health and wealth. The things that we all are often, te- often lulled into, deceived into thinking are of utmost importance. You read in Jeremiah 44, the Israelites who fled into Egypt later on actually took their Asherah worship with them. In fact, some of them believed that Jerusalem was destroyed by the Babylonians because they had not worshipped Asherah enough. So this Asherah worship was very entrenched in ancient Israel. Do we worship Asherah? Of course, she doesn't go by this name anymore. But Asherah really still exists. What things are we busy pursuing? Is it the almighty dollar? What sort of things do we think? If we just had this, life would be great. Is it material things? Whole families in ancient Israel were busy with the worship of Asherah. That means that little children, the children in your families, would have been, they just would have assumed Asherah worship, that's something normal, that's just what we do. What about in our families? Do our children think, yeah, this is just what you do. You, you, you buy things. You get excited about things that you own. Isn't that the same as Asherah worship? Do we spend time also in our homes, especially at this time of the year, making it clear who we really worship? Who and what has our ultimate allegiance? Do we see that there is a battle in our homes here? The Israelites, see the temple had been reformed. But in their homes, they were busy worshiping Asherah. So on Sunday, yeah, you can sing all the right songs. You can worship and praise God. But what are you busy with? What has your heart day by day? throughout the rest of the week. 
family worship. What does our family worship look like? I would be the first to admit that, you know, this needs to be opened up a little bit more. Like in our homes. Like on a Tuesday night. You know, we're all going to go around and we're just going to pick one and sing it. Or just randomly even. At some, time, at some point. You as a father say, you know, we need to spend time in worship. This is what we're going to do. You're going to make it clear to your children that you worship the Lord. people of God in ancient Israel, they wanted to have it both ways. God was worshipped officially at the temple, but then in their homes, they also had their idols. God says to all those idols, they're really worthless. Is it I whom they provoke, declares the Lord? Is it not themselves to their own shame? If you read Scripture, you'll find that Moses in particular constantly warns about provoking the Lord to anger. And you can understand how you could do that. If you worship God today, but but tomorrow you're actually worshiping material things, Isn't your worship of God today provoking Him to anger? Of course it is. Here God, though, says there's even more to it than that. It's not so much me that they are provoking. You are provoking yourself to your own shame. What God means here is that all your worship of of Asherah, all the worship that we are busy with, with material things or sports or our own pleasures, all of that is really destructive. Do we see that? Not only does it provoke our Lord to anger, but it is really so, so silly, so superficial, so, so useless. As a sinner, we insult our God in the way that we reject Him. But that's only the beginning. All those pleasures that we pursue as sinners, we are bringing such destruction upon ourselves. Perhaps it's like, you know, with the things that you eat, but but even more so. You can eat things that Tastes great for the moment, but if you had a steady diet of that stuff, well, before you know it, your health would be, would be terrible. Our spiritual health as well. We are ruining it in the things that we pursue and the things that we get excited about as sinners. That takes us to our second point. This is in verse 21 and following. Here the Lord God again laments how His people are trying to sort of be two-faced and really fool only themselves with all their sacrifices. 
Verse 21. If you just read this right away, maybe it's a bit tough to understand exactly what's going on. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, add your burnt offerings to your sacrifices and eat meat. You might think, well, what is going on with that particular verse? But the burnt offerings, do you see? The burnt offerings are those special offerings that you completely give to God. God here, though, says, add your burnt offerings to your sacrifices and eat meat. In other words, I don't want your burnt offerings. That best offering that was supposed to be mine, you add it to the rest of your sacrifices and the, the other sacrifices you would consume as well, sometimes with the priest too. You keep all that. You enjoy that because I do not enjoy it, says God. It would be a little bit, says one commentator here, God saying, oh, you've just put all that money in the collection bag. No, no, no. Actually, take it back. I don't want it. Spend it on yourself. Because that's how you're living your whole life. Spending things on yourself. You're just using that money to buy me off. For the Israelites, and you can find this throughout Jeremiah, sacrifices had become the central thing in their worship of the Lord. That was sort of their focus. That's also how you served pagan gods. With pagan gods. You see, the Israelites essentially are trying to serve the Lord the way that everyone else served their gods. With pagan gods, you never had to listen. Those gods never spoke to you and commanded you. Baal and Asherah never had ten commandments. They never demanded obedience. God says, look, when I first delivered you out of Egypt, what did I tell you to do? If you were to read through the book of Exodus, you would discover Exodus chapter 20. It's even already in, verse, in chapter 19. God tells His people to obey Him and to listen to Him. Only later on, like in Exodus 24, does God then speak about things like sacrifices and all the other rituals in the tabernacle? What is number one in your worship of the Lord? It has to be obedience. If you want to truly worship the Lord, you must learn to want to obey, to hear His Word, and to do it. But the Israelites, they had missed the heart of what God really wanted. How can we not tremble as well when we look at them? Is our religion just ourselves fooling ourselves? Is all our religious activity just sort of stuff what we want? Is it what God really wants? 
And then also look at what they were doing with the Queen of Heaven. Actually, more than that. Because God goes on here. They were burning their own children in the fire. Something that did not even enter the mind of the Lord. That's how far it was from Him. Maybe this seems almost unthinkable. The Israelites were burning their own children in the fire. You might know that there were Ammonite gods. They made idols, statues out of them, like out of metal. And they had their arms out like this. And they would light this big fire. They were hollow. They light a big fire in them. And then you would place your child on the outstretched arms of this heated up God statue. It's terrible. Terrible. But on one level, just par for the course. Pagan gods and goddesses were all about you sort of trying to manipulate them. That's how you serve pagan gods and goddesses. You sort of did something for them expecting that they would do something back for you. Ancient religion was really a religion of manipulation. You abusing or using the gods to your own end. That's what the Israelites had fallen from or fallen into. You need to see what was actually going on then in ancient Israel. Not only were they not worshiping the Lord and instead worshiping pagan gods and goddesses. But see, those two things are not parallel at all. The Israelites no longer had any sense of what a real relationship with the divine looked like. They had succumbed to a life of selfish manipulation instead of that relationship that God wanted with His people where He genuinely loved them and they knew His love and they loved Him in return. A marriage, for instance, can degenerate into an abusive, manipulative thing. You know where it's all about power and control? Even on both sides? Where selfishness reigns instead of love? Well, that is what had happened really in ancient Israel with them and the divine. They no longer knew anything about real love and honor. It was all about me, myself, and I. That takes us to our third point. God pronounces judgment then on His people. And as always, it's a fitting judgment. They have poured out drink offerings to the Queen of Heaven and lit fires for cakes. I will pour out my wrath 
and the fire of my wrath will burn and not be quenched. They have slaughtered their own children in the valley outside of Jerusalem. Therefore, they will be slaughtered in that valley. They have worshipped the stars of heaven. So their bones will be brought out and spread before the sun, moon, and stars whom they have worshipped. And they shall not be buried. I'm going to focus on that for a moment. Because you have here a hint, a sign, really of hell. They shall not be buried. To be buried. On one level, that's, you know, it's the reality of death. But, but to be buried is actually an act of love. It means that there are those who care about you. There are those who want to give you honor. To not be buried, that is a terrible shame. So here, with these bare bones brought out from the tombs, bodies not buried, we have a hint here that the judgment of God is even greater than simply dying. That there's a judgment after death. There's a hint here. The judgment of God is deep and even eternal. In fact, it will be so bad that those who survive all of this will prefer to die. Because to have all this happen, not so much in our culture, but even then, but especially in the ancient culture, to have a calamity like this come upon you, bones taken out of the grave, spread out, bodies left unburied, those who survived this would have been mortified, to put it mildly. Death shall be preferred to life by all that remains of this evil family. Where does all of this leave us? Well, in conclusion, it ought to leave us trembling. We are made of the same stuff as those ancient Israelites. How can we learn to truly love our Lord? How can we get out of that life of really selfishness where even our relationship with God is still all about ourselves? And we are at the center of it. In so many ways, we need a Redeemer. We cannot get out of this pit on our own. Not even with a prophet like Jeremiah telling us and confronting us with what actually lives in our hearts. We need a Redeemer and we do have that Redeemer. Look at the Lord Jesus Christ and you see He's exactly what we need. First of all, 
He comes into the world to do what? To deal with the wrath of God. The wrath of God that we all deserve for our hypocrisy and being two-faced, even in our service of, of God. The Lord Jesus Christ pours out His blood just as libations to the pagan gods and goddesses were poured out so that the wrath of God would be dealt with. We also need to learn to to stop sort of manipulating, scheming, playing at games, even religious games. And that too is what we find in Jesus Christ. The more that you look to Jesus Christ, the more that you stand before His cross, that life of selfishness and manipulation, that, that life that really is a parody of life, that life that does not really know anything about what true love is all about, receiving that love, reflecting that love, that life that is not life is put to death at the foot of His cross. There at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ grows a true religion. A religion that wants to simply worship and to be in awe and to know the love of God and to love the God who has loved us. The more you put the love of your God before you, in Jesus Christ, the more that life of manipulation will stop. You and I, we also need to learn to hear and to listen. How does that happen? Through the greater word that God speaks in Jesus Christ. Through that word of grace as the Apostle Peter says, is even implanted in us. Clearly not a word that is going to go in one ear and out the other. In the word that God speaks in Jesus Christ, our hearts are softened and our ears are opened. The Israelites, they missed what God really wanted. How do we learn to give God what He really wants? How do we learn to give the right sacrifice that brings joy even to our God? There is only one way. Jesus Christ. Amen.